Uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami, uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat, uh. <laughs> hey, welcome to Live from 305. I'm your host, Ben Estrada. And I'm Jaya Williams. Today is July 28th, and in today's show, we'll give you a thorough insight into all things Miami, from culture to sports, weather, and food. Everyone you'll hear from today is a UM student. First, we'll hear from our hosts, Ben Estrada and Alex Valeris, about their experiences growing up in Miami, with one native perspective and one perspective from someone who moved there as a child. Let's hear from Alex and Ben in a segment they like to call Otra Noche and Miami. Alex, how about you tell us a little bit about your first memories of being in Miami as a kid? Yeah, of course. Um, I'd probably say, like, my first memory really of Miami was my dad uh, took me to Calle Ocho, which, like, in Miami is very Cuban-populated, uh, influenced uh, little place. And... It was, you know, so cool, you know, it was, you know, dominoes, old men smoking cigars, and, you know, you have this feeling, at least I did when I was there, um, about, like, I don't know, like, yeah, I felt, I felt at home in some way, obviously I'm from Miami, but, like, in a different aspect where, like, I don't know, it felt, it felt really calming and very inviting, like, the environment itself was really cool. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about Miami that I noticed after living here for many years. You know, they have places like Little Havana, Little Haiti, and it the name is really true because they're like little slices of those places, but in a different city. Yeah, I think what's really cool about Miami is that even though, you know, majority of people come here and stuff like that, um, in some way or fashion, you know, Miami gives this feeling of that you're still home in some other way. And some strange feeling, Miami can be cultivated as something so special for other people and, like, treat Miami as their home away from home. Mm. Yeah, I see that. Well, my first memory of Miami was actually on a vacation, and... It's pretty much the typical vacation stuff in Miami. All I remember was a lot of beaches, uh, some great seafood, just lots of sand and sun, those typical things. And that's what a lot of people think of when they think of Miami. They think of the paradise aspect of it. You know, it's this beach resort city, party city. And it is in a way, but really there's so much more to Miami than that. And that's what we want to kind of unpack today. So I'm from Canada originally, Ottawa, Canada. It's a sleepy government town almost. It is the capital, but things are very slow paced there. And one of the main differences I notice when I moved to Miami is how things are really fast paced here. And people are always rushing, it seems, to do what they need to do. Whether you're driving or trying to make an order at a bakery, you know, you're at Vicky's Bakery, everything's almost like it's, it's trying to be as fast as it can. It's kind of that urgency in Miami. Growing up in Miami, you know, you're, you are, you are subject, subjected to moving rather quickly. You know, it's very fast paced. It's not for everyone, but it's something cool too about Miami. 
And also, there is Cuban time, you know, <laughs> don't forget Cuban time, because Cuban time, you know, you invite, you invite people over, let's say 7 o'clock, no, people are showing up, you know, 7.30, 8, you know, late, late times, because people forget, people procrastinate, or it's just the mere fact that people want to show up late, and the life of the party is there. You know, once you show up late, everyone's like, oh, like, hey, like, you know, it's kind of that feeling. Yeah, Cuban time's a big thing for sure. And really, how I learned Spanish was not in any class or anything like that. It was from all those Cuban family parties that I went to. And yeah, I experienced Cuban time firsthand. Like you said, it might start at 7, but people are still showing up at 9, 10. And it's just normal for them, I guess. Moving to Miami was a big culture shock in a way. But over time, I realized there's a lot of similarities, actually, between Miami and Canada. They're both very multicultural places. There are a lot of different languages being spoken. And people are pretty welcoming to outsiders. And the biggest thing is that people are very proud of where they came from. And even though they're in a whole new place, whether it's Miami or Ottawa, they still hold on to that national heritage of theirs. And they they continue that in their communities. So we see that in Miami and Cayocho, right? Like all these people who came from Cuba and Cuban families, they brought that piece of Cuba with them and they keep that alive every day. But at the same time, they're still proud to be in Miami. And it's kind of like, Miami is like this beautiful mix of the culture that people came from originally and this new culture that they're now immersed in. And it just creates something completely different. Yeah, even though Alex and I have two different stories of being in Miami, one as a native and one as a transplant, there's one thing we can both agree on, and that is that there's no place like Miami. It's a community where so many different cultures mix and coexist, and even though they take on that Miami spice and they really assimilate into Miami, at the same time they always preserve their culture and they're very proud of it, whether they're Haitian, Cuban, Venezuelan, whatever they are. Yeah, there is no place like Miami. You know, whenever I meet a tourist, um, I tell them, you know, go, go to these specific tourist spots because I want them to have a feeling that Miami isn't just that, you know. In retrospect, I know that it is, but I don't know. It's it's wanting to go somewhere where you're not a tourist but a local and now to the one thing everyone's most excited about college game day. Let's go to Bree Ord and Jaya Williams on their segment, Catching Up with the Canes. Hello and welcome to Catching Up with the Canes. I'm your host, Jaya Williams, here with my fellow classmate at the University of Miami, Bree Ord. Hi, Bree. Hi, Jaya. I'm super excited since you know the segment is about everyone's favorite subject college football game day definitely i can't wait i know a lot of us are super excited about this and today we're going to talk about the past present and future of game day and our miami hurricanes specifically 
Obviously, we had an entire pandemic that put a damper on things, but before then, going to football games at UM was quite an experience. Bree, do you remember your first college football game pre-COVID? Yes. Since I was studying abroad in Rome, my first college game day experience didn't happen until sophomore year, which was at UM's first home game versus Savannah State. Although that game was a massive blowout in our favor, it was still an extremely fun experience to tailgate at the frat houses. The energy was incredible. I mean, I was also on my high school's cheerleading team all four years of high school. So this was the first time in like five years I felt like I could really enjoy the game, you know, as a fan. Yes, I just remember all the energy in the stadium and all the fans rallying up. It just really gets you going. And I do think there's quite a difference experiencing game day as a student versus as a fan or as a performer. Ever since I got to the U, I'd been on the dance team performing at all the games. So that was a different experience in itself, just being surrounded by the fans and it being your job to bring the energy throughout the whole game. My first game day was absolutely amazing. I remember being so happy just with a full stadium of people surrounding me and all of the noises and which is why even when the pandemic hit and fans weren't able to attend games the vibe at hard rock stadium completely shifted what was it like cheering there with no students allowed at the games unless you know they actually bought tickets well yeah that's the thing there was no student section this year we only went to two games through the whole season It was just kind of sad, honestly. And we performed with masks on our faces the entire game in the heat, sweating. You know, you're not even really able to perform and to give facials on screen, which is really a big part of cheering and dancing. So it was definitely tough. I mean, we were grateful to even have a chance to do any of the games, but the absence of our fans were felt, which is why I think it's going to be really exciting to have them back, hopefully, this upcoming season. Dear King, he's looking like our starting QB. Here's a quote from him about what he's most looking forward to having fans back at Hard Rock Stadium. I think it's going to be great having fans back in the stadium. I think we all feed out the energy. Um, you know, I think it's a really good thing. It's going, it's going back to normal just to, for everybody to enjoy the, the game day experience. You know, we love our fans. I think we have some of the best fans in the country. So just play in front of those guys every single Saturday. Um, you know, home and away games, uh, it should bring us a lot of energy. And I'm super excited, you know, to play in front of fans this year. So there you have it. There's the Eric King's thoughts. Bree, what do you think? Do you think this next season at Hard Rock is going to be a lot better now that the pandemic's kind of through? The thing I wonder is like, is there still going to be, you know, limitations? But I mean, obviously more than what was it last season, only 33% capacity. Right. I mean, hopefully I'm pretty sure that we're going to have a student section this year. So I think that will be a really cool thing to have back. I definitely feel like that app, the absence of the student section was a pretty big deal. It does make a huge difference. Definitely. And I think fans are really, really going to get into it this year. Game one for our Hurricanes, Alabama, you know, one of the toughest teams to start off with week one with no game footage. So what do you think we're going to look like out there? I mean, it is going to be a tough game first off, not just because it's Alabama, but also because they're the defending national champions. 
I mean, although they lost like a lot of talent due to the draft, they always have their replacements ready no matter what. Their new quarterback, Bryce Young, he's a sophomore. He's going to get his first start in his college career against Miami. He was the number one high school QB in 2020. So there's no doubt that he's going to put up a good fight. But he's new and mistakes, just him not having that veteran experience could really benefit us at the University of Miami. So we're going to see what happens with that. Also, the Hurricanes are pretty strong. If you look at our starting lineup here, uh, Miami's returning with 10 out of 11 of their offensive starters, 9 out of 11 of their defensive starters, and they have a lot of returning veterans there to lead us. Obviously, we have our quarterback that we just heard from, Derek King, Bubba Bolden, Mike Harley, Cam Harris, Zach McLeod. We have a lot of people that have been here a while, good veterans that can kind of push us in the right direction. If we were to pull off this game and win it, I feel like it'd give us confidence for the rest of the season, maybe give us a chance of going all the way to the national championship. I think we're underestimated right now. I think we're definitely going to have to prove ourselves this year to earn a little more respect. But a lot of people think that Alabama is just going to come in and whip our butts. Despite whether or not we win, I do think it'll be a good fight. This is going to be the first time the two schools have met in any game since the 1993 Sugar Bowl. Yes, exactly. It's going to be exciting. I'm honestly really excited about it. But I think that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you for tuning in to Catching Up with the Canes. On to the next segment. And if we're talking about Miami, we cannot forget to mention Inter-Miami. Let's hear from Sam Gonzalez about the effects of Miami's culture on this very unique soccer team. Thank you, Jaya. I'm Samuel Gonzalez, and I'm here to give you an insight onto how La Familia is going to make Inter de Miami a better team. As a Miami native myself, the best part about this city is not its nightlife or beach life. It's the people. From the very first second you step foot in this city, you're immediately exposed to its large Latino community. They'll welcome you with open arms and treat you like family because that is one of the values that they hold dear to their hearts. They'll create a feeling like no other you've ever experienced which will then make you want to aspire to bigger and better things because you'll not want to let them down. In the process, the Latino people will instill other values such as hard work, dedication, and consistency, an ideology that is taught to the youth from a very young age, as it is believed these attributes are necessary to achieving any goal you set out for in your lifetime. La Familia, Inter Miami's fan base, lives by and supports their club through these foundations and their only hope is that the players of this young club can live by this unwritten code as well. The start to life as a new franchise in the MLS hasn't been easy, with the club going on to almost two losing seasons in a row. Currently sitting at the bottom of the table with only nine points, two victories, three draws and eight losses, La Familia is growing impatient with their team leading them to whistling and booing players at the end of matches, while other fans head for the exits early. A cruel sight to see for anybody, but that's what it means to be a part of a family, 
when you aren't giving your best efforts, you'll always be let known by those who love you best that you're not doing your part. No one is expecting Inter Miami to win silverware right away. All that the fans want is that players who play for the club represent the city of Miami to the best of their abilities. All they want is for the club to give it their all game after game. Through hard work, dedication, and consistency, these players will bring joy to the city that stands with them till death. This team has it all to stand out in the world of football, a city, and a supportive fan base. All that the club has to do now is hold up their end of the bargain. And now it's time to talk about the weather. James Keene and Parker Gimble will be delivering an update on the tropics on the newest episode of The Tropical Tribune. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the third episode of The Tropical Tribune. Today's episode will be unique for multiple reasons, and the first reason for that is this will be a hybrid episode, which will also feature my hit podcast, Diamond Hands Are Forever. But that's not all, ladies and gentlemen. Today will be extraordinary because I'll be talking tropics alongside a special guest, self-proclaimed weather hobbyist and my dearest cousin, the one and only Parker Gimble. You'll have to forgive me, James. You caught me in the middle of a puff. I've taken up vaping in advance of our cloud-centric conversation. (laughs) Wow, Parker, I didn't realize just how committed you were to the cause. I must say, I'm impressed. Don't be. It uh, wasn't really for the show. I've been very stressed lately, but uh, we can talk about that off the air. Sorry to hear that. Uh, As of now, there is only one area of interest, and it happens to be located off the east coast of our great Sunshine State. The system is currently labeled 90L, but it is not cause for concern in its current condition. But if you're listening to this any later than July 26th, you may be underwater. Right, James? Uh, What I believe Parker meant to say is to remind our educated listeners that these slow-moving tropical entities have a tendency to drop copious amounts of rain. Uh, Now, with that being said, 90L is currently nothing more than a naked swirl with a few clusters of thunderstorms attached. But you know what they say, James. No, what do they say, Parker? Where there are some clowns, there may be many. I've never heard them say that, but I must say, Parker, you are quite the wordsmith. I will keep that aphorism in mind for future reference. Now, 90L is charting westward at 5 miles per hour towards the Florida Georgia Have you seen Westworld, James? Uh, no, Parker, I have not. But I have I, not either, but I've heard it's quite good. You said Westward, so it made me think of Westworld. I'm meaning to watch that. I'll, I'll add that to my things to watch. But as I was saying, 90L is moving westward towards the Florida-Georgia border and is expected to reach sometime Monday evening. You might say that I am in the eye of the hurricane, as I can feel the humidity rising already. Uh, well, it is late July in South Florida. I would say that's probably more responsible for the humidity than the tiny swirl 400 miles north of Miami. I tend to link all natural phenomena intrinsically. 
It's just how my brain works. So when it's humid out, I might assume it's going to rain. Or when it's windy, maybe a volcano erupts in the Philippines, or I don't know. Um, I don't want to say that I'm clairvoyant, but I'm definitely special in one way or another. Well, I'm not seeing that in the forecast models, but as all regular listeners of Tropical Tribune know, storms can be unpredictable. Well, that's all we've got for Invest90L, and thank you, Parker, for helping with that tropical update. I was under the impression that we'd be talking for five minutes, but, um, you know, I, well, I had quite a bit more research to share, but I understand the time constraints. Thanks for having me on, James. Uh, yeah, and thanks again for being here. Now, speaking of invests, it's time we move into my other hit show, Diamond Hands Off Forever, where today we will be focusing on the red-hot Miami real estate market. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. number of home sales closed in Miami Beach spiked 68% from the first quarter of 2021. Closings were up 378% from the year-ago period when the market was severely impacted by lockdowns aimed at slowing the spread of COVID-19. There are more buyers than sellers, and if you understand the law of supply and demand, you know that only drives the housing prices up further. Real estate agents won't even speak to you if you don't have that 20% down payment at your disposal. Many fear that we are in another housing bubble. Hey guys, uh, are we getting some interference? I'm hearing some sort of sharp crunching. James. Hello? What are you sorry, still doing? I'm sorry, I was having trouble exiting. I was having trouble exiting Zoom and then I got hungry. And when I came back, what you were saying was just so interesting. Uh, so I figured I would just hang around for the rest of your segment, but I guess I forgot to mute my microphone. So when I got my chips, I'm, I'm sorry, Parga, but I'm going to have to respectfully ask you to please leave now so I can finish the segment. Okay, everyone, I'd like to wrap up by comparing the potentially devastating effects of the possible housing market bubble with the 2008 recession, which spurred all time highs in unemployment and inflation. James. Yes, Parker? I wasn't really having trouble exiting Zoom. I see. Do you think that the bubble could impact my chances of getting my real estate license? I'm sorry? I'm planning on getting my real estate license, and I want to know if now is a bad time to do that due to the potential for, uh, you know, untrustworthy buyers. No, or... no, Parker, if anything, now's a good time to get your real estate license, you know, with such low interest rates and a surplus of buyers, it's like feeding candy to a baby. Even if the bubble bursts? Well, while I do agree that prices are currently inflated and a correction will come, I don't see it being nearly as severe as the crisis we saw over a decade ago. Even now, real estate is one of the safest investments you can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this stuff is, uh... This stuff's confusing. I may just try to get back my paper route. Well, as they say, do what you love. Anyway, it appears that we are out of time for today. Parker, it was a pleasant surprise having you on Diamond Hands Are Forever as well. 
your valuable input is always greatly appreciated. Thank you, James. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. And uh, to all of our listeners, remember, where there are some clouds, there may be many. There may be many. Thank you, James and Parker, for that interesting and varied segment on weather and finance. Moving on, we'll be having a roundtable discussion on a quite contentious topic. Should you move to Miami? Why or why not? Let's find out. Welcome to our roundtable discussion. I'm your host, Jaya Williams, and today we're deciding if moving to Miami for the food is worth it. I'm joined by two Miami natives, Alex Valeris. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jaya. Thank you for asking. Yes, and Ben Estrada. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. They've grown up in Miami, and they know the city best. I'm also joined with two people who aren't from here. They've lived in Miami for a much shorter amount of time. We have Bree Ord from Los Angeles. Hi, Jaya. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And, of course, Parker Gimble from South Jersey. Are we not doing star signs this week? I'm sorry? Astrological zodiac signs. I thought that that was going to be included in the introductions this week. Oh, oh we, we didn't discuss that. I'm, a, I'm there... a Leo. Just include that and then we're good to go. Okay. And, I, and everybody, Parker Gimble is a Leo. He insists that everybody remember that he's a Leo. So, you guys, why or why not? Is Miami's food a game changer or a deal breaker? Natives, since you've been here longest, we'll start with you guys. How are you feeling about this? Well, I think it's definitely a, a game changer. I think the food scene in Miami, it's kind of, it represents Miami as a whole. Miami's such a melting pot. There's so many different cultures here. And you see that in the food. You can get great Indian restaurants. You can get great Thai food. Of course, there's a plethora of Hispanic and Latin American options. There's really just so much to choose from. And I think that's a big strength. Yeah, I definitely would have to agree with you there, Ben. I think uh, Miami is probably the best destination or one of the best destinations to come get food. I mean, it's kind of hard to pass up, you know, the Cuban cuisine, the Greek cuisine and the seafood here. It's interesting that you brought up seafood. So when you talk about seafood, what kind of seafoods are you talking about? I mean, personally, I'm a pescatarian. So if, you know, you want to come to anyone about seafood, you got to you got to come to your man, Alex, you know, and <laughs> we're talking about sushi. We're talking about sashimi. We're talking about, you know, seared tuna. We're talking about black and mahi mahi we're talking about the whole works right now so where, where are the best seafood spots in your opinion oh i mean let's start off at rusty pelican let's start off at jones joe stone crab i mean we got i got numbers <laughs> you know pub belly i got you know limit limitless pub Belly's a good one okay so the list is endless are out of town folks how do you guys feel about the seafood here i think it's good while it's good i don't think it compares much to you know california because being although both are on the east coast maybe it's just a bias thing 
Uh, I feel like the seafood here on the, out on the West Coast in California, Los Angeles, I live like 30 minutes away from Malibu, is like out of this world and top notch. But however, the quality is at Miami is really good. I don't know much about um, the food in Los Angeles, but I know that the sushi here is uh, difficult to say the least. Um, I judge my I judge my sushi on a basis of the likelihood of if I were to walk into a Japanese restaurant with a blindfold on in a given area, what is the percentage chance of it being a good one? And uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and say that in Miami, the chance is considerably lower than anywhere else on the East Coast that I have been for a significant period of time. That's, I think, I don't know. You're, I mean... You're from South Jersey, Parker. Like, what? what is the ratio of you walking into a restaurant in South Jersey for good sushi compared to Miami? Well, we all, I live in a very small town. We only have one sushi restaurant, and it's good, so 100%. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you're stretching. I think you're stretching. So, Parker's hot take. Sushi's not that impressive, according to him. Guys, how are we feeling? Are you kidding me? Sushi is really, really good. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good places in California and and, and in Los Angeles, where I'm from, like, because the seafood's top-notch quality, given how close uh, I am to Malibu. Fun fact, I was 30 minutes away from Malibu. And in Miami, Miami's on near the ocean too. And the sushi there's phenomenal. Look, I think the big problem that Parker's making is that he's been eating sushi sitting in a chair every time. If you want good sushi, you got to go to Shibui near sunset where you can sit on the floor and it's a whole different experience. Here's the thing, Ben, um, that the question isn't, is there good sushi in Miami, right? There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Miami area. Of course, there's a couple good sushi spots, but would I move to Miami to eat sushi? Absolutely not. I would, you know, maybe move to Italy for pizza or New Jersey for diners. But Miami and its sushi scene, I mean, it's definitely not the main reason you're moving here or even one of the factors in your decision making when you're moving. If you if you take one or two of the places from South Jersey, right, and you match them up against the best places to go in Miami. Where would you rather go eat, Parker? Um, I just like to say, to my knowledge, there's only one, uh, not two, and the one Bay Avenue Sushi. Okay, and, and this isn't sponsored. Uh, the yellowtail jalapeno ponzu sauce. That's a reason enough alone for me to go there over anywhere in Miami. As much as I'm loving this sushi discussion, there are other things to enjoy in Miami. Specifically, the coffee is a big thing that makes Miami stand out. Please tell me you guys have had a chance to try some Cuban coffee. Yes, I have. I mean, like, I feel like in my, I don't have a favorite shop in particular to get Cuban coffee, but just the quality is top notch compared, you know, to getting having the Nespresso pod of Cuban coffee at home. This is something that we can agree on because I do actually love Cuban coffee and uh, anyone that thinks differently is objectively wrong. Okay, this isn't a subjective uh, conversation. If we're talking Cuban coffee, it's good, end of discussion. Think about it though, it's kind of a ripoff. You go to La Careta, Versailles, 
right? And you're like, hey, man, you know, I want to get some cafecito, you know, like hang out with the boys. They give you a freaking styrofoam cup that is this big, right? And they charge you like six bucks for it. And I'm like, bro, like, what is it? Like, is it, are you using special espresso beans? Are you, no, they're not doing anything different than just making espresso. That's all they're doing. So I don't understand the name Cuban coffee. It's just coffee. Oh, it's yes, coffee, thank but... you, Alex. You know what the big draw is? You know what's keeping people coming back for that Cuban coffee? It's because they're all addicts, addicts to sugar. And that's what half of Cuban coffee is, is it's just sugar. Coffee. So are we all agreeing that you should move to Miami just for this Cuban coffee? Actually, I mean, I love the coffee, but no, absolutely not. That's irrational. I agree. I, say... I have to agree with Parker. I mean, unless, unless if it was for like a job, let's say if I get a job in Miami, that's a whole different story. It's not just about the Cuban coffee, though. There are many coffee shops where you can get coffee from Honduras, from Ecuador, Brazil, Ethiopian beans, you name it. And again, like I said earlier, the diversity of Miami is represented in the food. It's represented in the coffee. And that's a reason you should move here. Uh, while I do agree with most of what's being said, I just like to say that uh, maybe part of the reason that I've had such bad sushi experiences is because I'm too intimidated to ask for what I want because all the waiters only speak Spanish and they'll laugh at me if I don't say something correctly. <laughs> Aren't you a Leo, though? I thought you guys were supposed to be very uh, strong in your opinions and being able to express them. I'm yeah, that's not very opinion. Leo of you, Parker. I'm very strong. And it's Leo opinion. season. Come on, man. I think you're... Don't worry, Parker. Like, I'm from California, but I don't speak a single word of Spanish unless it's like, hola, gracias. All you got to do is point at a picture or pull up something on your phone that you think that they'll understand and you just play a guessing game and until they tell you yes then you're good to go try try ordering from doordash and then calling the restaurant to say that you are allergic to peanuts and tree nuts and then have the person on the other end of the line very clearly can't speak english and then you have to look up how to say it in spanish i have yet to memorize it it's a whole thing every time. And I just, I wish I could escape it. What you could do um, is, you know, look at food description, um, you know, and actually see what's in it rather, you know, than playing a guessing game. That's a dangerous combo. Don't patronize me. Our natives, are you Spanish speakers? Yes. Yo entiendo todo, pero yo no puedo hablar muy bien. I understand everything, but I can't speak it that well. And the only way I've learned really is from immersion and being at Cuban parties, being around Cuban family members. That's how I picked it up. So basically, we just need to live in Miami a little bit longer and it'll rub off on all of us out of town folks, what I'm hearing. Yeah, all you got to do is <clears throat> sit down with a Cuban, uh, bring my grandmother. Uh, she's a very good teacher. A couple weeks with her, you'll be scared to death. I guess, long story short, um, the food here is good, right? I like Cuban restaurants, uh, but there aren't any like classic diners. Uh, I don't think that you need one necessarily if you have the Cuban restaurants nearby. I mean, you've got Cuban coffee, you've got Cuban breakfast, like uh, huevos rancheros. Like if you want that, that's great. 
it's different than a, you know, Jewish deli or diner in South Jersey, but it's a equal alternative, I would say. And uh, that kind of goes for the food scene in Miami as a whole, other than the sushi, of course. Uh, would I move here for any of it? Absolutely not. But I probably wouldn't move anywhere just for food. If it coincided, like, you know, with a job opportunity, and I see that the, you know, the quality of the cuisine and everything is really good, and there's a diverse range, it would be considered worth, be worth moving to, you know, a different city. I've been here all my life, and I definitely don't plan on leaving. Uh, so for that reason, um, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth moving here for the food. Overall, I'd say, should you move here for the food? No, you should move here for everything else. But the food is a great bonus. Well, there you have it. There are our final takes on this episode of Why or Why Not? Make sure you tune in next week because we're going to be debating weather. Those who have been here a while might say that Miami's weather is not amazing year-round. Meanwhile, tourists love to say that Florida has great weather all year. I think hurricane season has something to say about that, so make sure you tune in next week. But that's all we have for today's roundtable discussion. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, that was a lot of ground to cover, but I'm glad we put the food debate to rest. Thank you so much for tuning in to Episode 1 of Live from 305. I'm Ben Estrada. And I'm Jaya Williams. And we'll see you all next week.